Hello and welcome to the Raw podcast brought to you by the Sunderland Echo. My name's Joe Nicholson and I'm joined by my colleagues Phil Smith and James Copley. We're going to be reflecting on Sunderland's 3-1 win over Norwich City at the Stadium of Light. Tony Mowbray's had, uh, side had to come from behind with goals from Tri Hume, Dan Neal and Jack Clark giving them all three points. So uh, we'll start with you, Phil. Um, Sunderland ended a three-game losing run with this win over Norwich and reflecting back to just uh, just under a month ago they were playing well they'd won five of their last six games but then they'd come into this sticky run of uh, form Dan Neal's red card against Middlesbrough then went away to Stoke and lost and then lost against league leaders Leicester so just how important was this win against Norwich on Saturday? Yeah I think it was important to sort of change the mood a little bit but to be fair I didn't feel the performances had really changed that much during the three-game losing run compared to the sort of weeks beforehand. You know, if you take the three games in their context, you know, the Middlesbrough game, after a bit of an indifferent start, and were probably in the ascendancy at the point in which Daniel gets sent off. Um, the Stoke game, you know, I, I thought it was very harsh to lose that game, and Leicester, in a lot of ways, is one of the best performances of the season, really. Um, when you put into context that, you know, the form that Leicester were in, um, their position in the table, their budget, um, all Sunderland really did was miss their chances, to be honest. Um, but I think what was pretty obvious coming away from that game, not just after the Norwich game, but before it, listening to Tony Mowbray and you yourself speaking to Daniel afterwards, that the players took an awful lot of belief from that game. Um, it reminded me a little bit of after the Fulham game at Craven Cottage in the FA Cup earlier this year, where Sunderland didn't actually win. But... You know, the staff and the players talked about it a lot in the months afterwards as it really gave them that conviction that they were on the right track because they'd not just competed with the Premier League team, but they'd done so playing that sort of really aggressive style. Um, so I, I think it was, an, it, it was an important win, as you say, because, it, you know, in terms of stopping the right results, but I don't think there was actually a huge amount different, really. I think they played against a poorer opposition. Um, I think that's fairly obvious. And, you know, I suppose football's won and lost in both boxes. I think, generally speaking, someone with the same sort of positive, aggressive front foot team on Saturdays that had been in previous weeks, um, they just put their chances away. And of course, the second goal, um, Jack Clark's pass to Dan Neal, is, is one of the best of the season so far, really. So I think it was an important win for everybody. Um, but I have to say that, you know, I, I, I do feel like the performance level was pretty much where it's been, actually. And um, it's just yeah. those fine margins in football, isn't it? Mm. We have seen, James, previously teams have come to the Stadium of Light, have sat quite deep and Norwich were sitting quite deep, although they've got one of the, I think, the worst defensive record in the Championship. But they were kind of putting men behind the ball and they wanted to hit Sunderland on the counter-attack. And when they got a goal lead, I'm sure some fans would have thought, here we go again, it's going to be a difficult afternoon. But how much credit does Sunderland deserve for getting back ahead before half-time and then seeing it out to, to get the three points? They do deserve a lot of credit. I think the conviction by the playing staff and the coaching staff to to not panic despite having lost three games, as Phil says, the the performances haven't been too bad, really, by and large. Obviously, there's always things you can improve. There's been a lot of controversy about refereeing decisions, but naturally, with with three losses, comes some external pressure, some outside noise. Um, Sunderland's record at the Stadium of Light wasn't all that good last season so to go a goal behind against Norwich who I think hadn't won in four coming into it obviously that's now moved to five um, you know 
was a worry. It was very much against the run of play. I thought Sutherland largely dominated those opening exchanges and and just didn't score. But then Norwich get the 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 sucker punch and and you do feel, oh no, here we go. Um, but I think everybody in that stadium really, bar bar the Norwich City fans, you know, Sunderland players and and Sunderland fans actually just stuck with it. I didn't feel that much angst from from Sunderland fans. Yes, they were disappointed, but there seemed to be a recognition that hang on, we are the the better team here. Perhaps that was partly also because of the sort of questionable refereeing decision around that 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 Norwich City goal. Is he offside? Isn't he offside? Is he interfering with play? All of that sort of stuff. Um, so that sort of contributed to the injustice, but you know the the stats stats paint the picture as well. Um, just got them here. Sunderland had seventeen shots the whole game to Norwich's nine, um, and Sunderland had nine shots on target to Norwich's two. Sixty three percent possession to thirty seven um, percent. That always looked like they were going to win the game once they took the lead. Even when they equalised, I thought, right here we go. Um, uh, a really excellent turnaround. You know, I think they're still. Some questions tactically, um, especially up front and about team cohesion, and and you know perhaps we'll talk about that shortly. But I think the question for me around this team still is if a Jack Clark or a Patrick Roberts isn't firing, or if a fullback can't get on on the action, or if we can't get a goal from midfield, then do we have a a, a championship quality centre forward who can really make the difference now? I think you know that remains to be seen. Hopefully, one of the one of the four we've got develops, and and obviously, Royston had a, a a really good game, really positive game. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a lot to go up, but I think you know a very very important win for Tony Mowbray as well, because you know you don't get a result against Norwich who are in bad form, and and suddenly people start to to concentrate on the results rather than the performances, and rightly so because it's a results business at the end of the day. But yes, good to get back to winning ways, definitely. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned Jack Clark there, another goal for him from the penalty spot. And he was excellent again on Saturday, wasn't he, Phil, with that goal and just with his, the driving runs that he produces down the left-hand side. But as James mentioned there, Sutherland, maybe in the last few games, have looked like they've been a bit reliant on Clark. He has kind of stepped up. He's got nine goals now this season, which I think is as much as he scored last season in the league already. But just how impressive was him and was he and how reliant do you think Sutherland are on Clark at the minute? Yeah, I think probably, yeah, a little bit too reliant. I think that is a fair comment at the moment. Having said that, you know, if you've got a player with the qualities that he has, with the consistencies he's at, then why wouldn't you rely on him? Do you know what I mean? Because I think it's it's kind of one of the worst cliches in football, isn't it? That, you know, wingers are inconsistent and you can't expect them to be at it every week. And, and actually, you know, Clark's kind of proven that wrong, as Ahmad did to an extent last year when his goal contributions were pretty much won every game. Um I do think that you know what he's doing this season is remarkable, and I think Saturday was, you know, pretty much a classic example of that. Really, where you know Norwich doubled up on him. I mean, Fastnacht was in the team pretty much purely, I think, to, to double up with a young right back and try and defend Clark. And you know, they, they don't really seem to have the ideas to stop him. And I think what's so impressive about Clark is, if you look back to when he first arrived on his initial loan spell, I think he was a fairly one-dimensional player. You know, he would pick up the ball and he would cut inside and he would drive until he was stopped. And he was pretty effective at it. But now you can see he can score goals at the back post. Um, he can take players down the outside as well and cut the ball back on his left foot, as he did for that famous Patrick Roberts goal, something that he's just developed more and more. Um, I think he's, you know, I, I think he's playing at as high a level as anybody in the championship right now. 
And so, yeah, something probably I'll rely on them. But I think when you've got a player in that form and that quality, I think that's just a natural process. I think you're always going to want to get the ball to him whenever you can. Um, I think James is right in what he says about, I think one of the impressive things this season, and something that Mowbray was really worried about in the summer was, you know, he he said it quite a lot, actually, to get into the playoffs, he needs 70 goals. Um, where are those goals going to come from with Noah Ahmad? Um, at that time, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen with Ross Stewart. And I think what we have seen is actually across the squad, it's been pretty good. You know, Dan Neal's got three goals now, hasn't he? And Pierre Equa has got two. You've got players chipping in. Um, but that centre-forward, I think, is a little bit of a worry. Um, because although someone have kind of adapted to almost play without one, I think you do feel like they're a little bit reliant on Clark's goal scoring output at the moment. And I think the decision to go with Roosin on Saturday sort of reflected that. Because I think Mowbray has spoken a lot about Mason Burstow and seeing how impressed he's been with his athleticism, his off-the-ball work. But I think we could all see that he wasn't getting a huge amount of chances um, and he hasn't particularly looked like scoring. And I think Mowbray felt at the time was right to go with Roosin. And actually, I do think that Roosin did well. He got into good areas and he pressed really well. And I expect he'll probably get a chance again on, on Saturday to play against Swansea. And I think it's going to be really important that someone up front um, steps up. I do think this team have shown that it's not all about strikers and there are different ways to play and there are different ways to score goals other than having sort of your classic number nine. Um, but I do think when you look at the goal scoring charts, it is a little bit of a concern that Clark is so out in front on his own. Um, I definitely think that's a big focus over the next few weeks is to try and get some continuity and get some goals from the front line. It looks like Rooster is very much sort of next in line to get that that opportunity as Burstow did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't realise just watching the Dan Neal go back, just how good Clark's mm. kind of footwork was to kind of beat a couple of Norwich players and then set up Neil. And what also was interesting was Rusin's run, which kind of opened up that space for Neil to kind of break through into the midfield and then dink the ball over the goalkeeper. But Phil mentioned it there, James. Rusin came in to the side for his first senior start for Sunderland. Didn't receive too many clear-cut chances, but how do you think he did um, and how would you assess his performance? I was really impressed. Obviously, he's in the team to to, to score goals. That's his, his primary job, and he didn't manage to do that. But I thought his all round game was was good. He didn't really have sort of a number ten playing really close to him. I thought Bellingham was was a lot deeper. Um, so in that regard, he was he was sort of feeding on on scraps in a way. I think what we've seen at Sunderland over the years in terms of strikers is that if you're not scoring, I'm, I'm thinking back to Ella Sims here, who I was a, a massive fan of, but you've got a You've got to sort of show that willing sort of running and, and, and willingness to work. Um, and, uh, you know, the perception of Ellis, Ellis Sims was that when he wasn't scoring, sometimes um, he wasn't making those sort of dart and runs like Ross Stewart, but it just wasn't his game. There were different players. However, I think with with Rusin, he, he did make sort of, not Ross Stewart-esque runs, because obviously Ross Stewart's a bit of a, a different animal in the championship, but there was that willingness to work. He was sort of making the diagonal runs. He was he was cutting in behind. And I think that the, the work rate was was impressive, really, considering he didn't really get too many chances. But as you say, uh, for Dan Neal's goal, the, the, the run to sort of to, to draw the defender away was impressive. Um, you know, he, he's coming in. To a to a new country, Mowbray has admitted that he doesn't fully know the language. Um, hopefully, that comes soon. It, it's a slightly different case, I suppose, a little bit to sort of Mayenda, Hemia, um, and Burstow in a sense that he is slightly older. Obviously, he lacks experience like the other two as well. But 
perhaps he's got that little bit more maturity and a little bit more experience in football generally that he could be the option going forward. But it's his first 90 minutes, so it would be good to, to see him back in against Swansea, which I suspect he will be, as, as Phil mentions. Hopefully he can get a run. Hopefully he can pick up a goal because it's you know it's all about confidence really. When when Hamia came on Joe towards the end and he he had that chance at the end of the game and he just snatched it and it, it went up over the bar. I was gutted at that because you just you want a, a Sunderland striker to to put the hand up really and, and get on the score sheet. I think the frustration is from from fans. It's almost. So it's almost a minor one, really, in a sense that we can see how much of a, a, a decent team and outfit this is. It's very well coached. There's, you know, Neil and Equar in the in the middle who are, are really positive players. You've got Clark and Roberts who are on the day two are the best wingers in the league. We've seen that consistent consistently. So, if they could just get a, a goal scorer, you know, from the striking position, somebody in form. Um, and somebody that fits, I think, you know, Sunderland then become a, a really, really interesting proposition, which they are already, to be fair. But they just need that little bit of that little bit of magic as well. Jack Clark's providing it. He start, sort of stepped in, uh, providing that, that magic quality role that, that Ahmad did last season. Um, but you just sense that Sunderland just maybe need a tad more, despite the fact that I think we'd all probably agree that in an all-round sense, they're, they're probably a better team than they were last last year. But I just think at the moment, they're missing that little bit of magic dust, despite winning 3-1. Um, but, you know, we, we didn't... I think me and Phil have discussed this on the pod before, and you, Joe, that we didn't really see that from a Madden until December, um, that yeah. Birmingham City game before we went away for the, for the World Cup. So hopefully new threats develop. But I think, you know... You've largely got to be positive, really, and hopefully Rusin can can put in another similar performance against Swansea, um, and perhaps he'll he'll get more of a clear cut chance this time. And you know, it's it's all about familiarity. It's his first ninety minutes, you know, new teammates and stuff like that. So I, I'm fairly optimistic. Hmm. I suppose in recent weeks the time the the side's been a little bit disjointed, hasn't it? With Neil coming out with his suspension against Stoke, Equa's been out with an injury. But do you think on Saturday, Phil, maybe Sirkin coming back in for Huggins that we perhaps saw Sunderland's strongest side against Norwich on Saturday? I think it's a... Yeah, I, I thought that Sirkin had a massive impact when he came on against Leicester on mm. um, was it Tuesday night. Yeah, I thought immediately, mainly just because of the balance of the side. It's not really a slight on Huggins, but Sirkin's sort of natural left-footedness, his instinct to sort of go outside. I thought it added a real you know, a, a really big dimension to Sunderland and was one of the key reasons really why they almost got back in, back into the game. But I think that at this stage, it's I think it's actually quite a tight call because I think what we're seeing with Niall Huggins is it was almost when he first came back from his injury, he was almost understandably getting through games because I think that match fitness wasn't there, match sharpness wasn't there. But I actually think if you look at the last sort of three, four weeks, he's bringing a lot in possession. Um, he looks a lot like Niall Huggins did when he first arrived at the club with those sort of big driving runs further forward through the middle of the pitch, taking players out the out the occasion. And his defensive work was really good again on Saturday. I think we know that when Dennis Serkin is fully fit and at his best, is he definitely in this sort of strongest eleven? I think he probably is. But I think at the moment, you've got a really good opportunity to sort of feed Serkin back in quite carefully. And I think Huggins, you know, personally, I think probably deserves the opportunity to continue for another couple of weeks. And I think the positive side of it is it gives you that option on the other flank as well, because, you know, Trey Hume has been exceptional. Um, and there's no doubt he is absolutely in some of the strongest 11. But with Timothy Pembele sort of taking longer than someone would hope to get up to speed and get up to full fitness, 
Um, there's some really welcome depth now because Huggins, obviously, if you play him on the right side, as we saw against Watford, he can bring you a real attacking outlet. So I, I do sort of agree with you. I think if you were starting from scratch without sort of background of context, I think you would always go a circuit in your team. But I thought Huggins had another strong game on Saturday and I think it's a really good option for Mowbray to be able to bring Serkin on later on. Um, and that's going to be an interesting position to sort of throw forward as well because obviously Agilice is going to be back in two to three weeks. Now, with him, it's going to be a bit of a long-term process, isn't it? Because he hasn't played much football for such a long time. Um, but what was a position where I think you were a bit worried about the depth um, is one where actually you can start to see Mowbray's getting some real options. Um and I think, you know, I think Huggins deserves a huge amount of credit because, like I say, I think he's in that team on Saturday, probably on merit, really. And that's that's credit to how he's done over the last few months. Mm -hmm. We'll just stick with you quickly, Phil, but while we're on injuries, um, there was some talk before the game on Saturday that Eliza Mienda could come back into the squad. Mowbray saying that he wasn't fit enough to start, but he could be on the bench. Wasn't part of the under-21 squad that played on Friday as well. So what did Mowbray have to say about him after the game? Yeah, I think I think Meander after the he had a full training session, I think, on Thursday, but afterwards just reported that he felt a little bit of discomfort in that hamstring, which is where the injury obviously initially was after he moved. Um you know Mowbray had been really clear in the press conference that although he would probably be on the bench, you know, it was going to be a case of giving him five, ten minutes at the end of the game. He wasn't ready sort of match fitness wise to play a substantial role. So I think with that in mind, Mowbray just took the view that it wasn't worth the risk. Um, you know, if he was only going to be on the bench potentially for a five, ten minute cameo, you know, why risk him potentially aggravating that injury? I think Mowbray's really excited about Meander. You can tell when he talks about him. He thinks he's got something a bit different to add to the group. He's very versatile. Um, and he was very clear that, you know, it, it didn't quite happen for him on Saturday in terms of getting on the bench and making his debut. But it's definitely something that will happen soon. So if he's not in the squad for Saturday's game at Swansea, I think we'll almost definitely see him in the squad for that last game before the international break against Birmingham. And then I think moving into that international break, you'll probably see him get some more under-21s uh, under minutes, whether that's league games, whether it's behind closed doors games at the Academy Light. And then fingers crossed, I think at the end of this month, when someone come back from the next international break, I think we'll then hopefully be at the point where he can really compete to be playing regularly and maybe even pushing for his first start. Mm-hmm. Just quickly as well, I wanted to clear something up on Saturday about Norwich's opening goal where there was appeals for offside. Pierre Equar felt that while Gabriel Sara, the Norwich midfielder, was offside, Pierre Equar let the ball go through to him. Um, Sara didn't touch it and then Norwich's fullback, Caelan Fisher, ran onto the ball. He wasn't offside and then crossed for the goal scorer, uh, Huang. Um, there were some appeals afterwards, James, about from the Sunderland players um, we all thought that Pierre Equa got booked for his appeals. There were some suggestions that it was Dan Ballard that got booked um, and that would have meant he received his fifth yellow card of the season, which would have meant he had a one-game suspension for the game against Swansea next weekend. But you've had it confirmed what actually happened there. Yes, so um, obviously, as I've just mentioned, Norwich scored. Uh, I think Pierre Equa and Dan Ballard were appealing quite heavily to the referee. I think Ballard was next to Equa. There was a yellow card shown. I think we all were of the opinion that it was shown at Equa for, for dissent or something along those lines in the stadium. But I think, uh, not to dig anybody out here at all, but I think a lot of, or most of the websites get their, or pull their information from Opta. So I think maybe somebody's um, you know, mistaken that, that the yellow card's gone to Dan Ballard. 
um, when it hadn't. So obviously all of the websites said Dan Ballard had got yellow carded, including, you know, Flash Score and BBC, which we all use as, as well to, to double check things. So went to the FA for a bit of clarification and they confirmed that it was Equa and not Ballard. So Ballard will be available for Swansea if he is fit. Um, Luke 9 did pick up a yellow card though in that game against Norwich City. So that means that Sunderland's two first-choice centre-backs are one game away from suspension each, heading into um, Swansea City. So perhaps that return of Agiolisi, um would be timely if they can get them up to speed. But as Phil said, it'll be a long-term sort of phasing back in. So that leaves like Triantis and Sealed. Uh, so definitely want to watch, I think, because, you know, there was a lot of talk about that partnership coming into the season, but they've, they've performed by and large pretty well, I would say. So, yeah, certainly um, definitely want to keep an eye on. Mm-hmm. We're just looking at the league table, Phil. Sunderland now up to seventh in the championship table. We're recording this on Monday and West Brom are playing Coventry on Monday night. So if West Brom do beat Coventry, they've moved back ahead of Sunderland. But Mowbray said something quite interesting, I thought, in his pre-match press conference, that they were only actually three points behind where Burnley were last season after now 14 games. Burnley, of course, went on to win the championship with 101 points. But do you think it's going to now, this season, take a higher points total to be in the top six? You just look at Leicester at the top, and to be fair to them, Ipswich as well, got a bit of a gap at the bottom. You've got QPR are struggling as well as Sheffield Wednesday, although they got their first win over the weekend. Do you think it's going to take a higher points total than it did last season? Yeah, 100%. I mean, last year, we all said at the time was, you know, an unusually low number of points. If you look back to that final sort of two or three weeks before the season ended, it was kind of incredible how teams like Millwall and Blackburn just persistently failed to get the results. Um, And so while Sunderland did brilliantly well, especially in that amazing Preston performance, they were lucky. You know, they were. And that was one of the things we talked about in pre-season was this, you know, we were concerned because... We all said, you know, someone overachieved last year and they were fortunate to get in the top six for the points however they did. And there was a chance that in a stronger division, they kind of matched what they did last year, but finished lower down the table and it would be viewed as a failure. So that was always something I think we were aware of coming into the season. I think, and one of the things that Mowbray has been talking about, and I think one of the reasons he referenced that statistic you mentioned about Burnley, Joe, was that someone's performances are clearly better than they were last year. And they are very clearly better than they were this time last year. You know, we talked about Ahmad. It wasn't really until after the international break that you saw someone really climb the table and we began to talk about them as playoff contenders. Before then, it was mostly about stabilising at the level, wasn't it? So I think that that was the point he was trying to make, that we we are a long way ahead of where we were and we're a better side than we were last year. And at the moment, I feel really confident they're going to get more points than last season. Um, But as you, I think, rightly mentioned, that's no guarantee that you're going to finish in the top six. Um, because I do think we'll see a much sort of more normal points hole required this year. But I have to say that I think, you know, if you if you if you take away sort of the results and just look at the performances, I think this team is a long way ahead of what was last year, even accounting for that obvious sort of concern that we've raised with the striking issue. Um and I suppose Saturday was a bit of a vindication for Mowbray. He was really bullish, wasn't he, in saying, you know, we've lost three games, but we're still a good team if we keep doing the right things. We're going to win games, and we saw that sort of come to fruition on Saturday. So, yeah, I think I'm, I'm very optimistic about this team. I think it will better what it did last year. I just don't know where that will leave you in the table. That's the obvious, um, that's kind of the big question because it does look a much stronger field this year, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, just before we finish, James, it's Swansea away on Saturday. Do you expect a similar Sunderland team to line up there at Swansea? And 
is there any potential changes you think Mowbray could make? Yeah, I would by and large. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it'll be probably man for man unchanged. To be honest, I think you know the only real question, as we discussed earlier, would be circling in for Huggins at left back potentially. But has Huggins really done anything worthy of you know being dropped out of that team? Probably not. I guess. It's twofold, isn't it? Because obviously Huggins has had his injury issues, so they might not want to oversaturate him. But Dennis Serkin's only just really come back into the fold the past two games, so do they want to throw him in from the start? That's the only real change that I can envisage, unless, of course, there's been some freak Sunderland training ground injury in the week, which you just never know with this club. But yeah, I think Rusin starts up front for me again. I, I like the three of Equa, Equa Neil and Bellingham playing slightly deeper. Hopefully, maybe away from home, one of those can can break out and get closer to the striker. But, yeah, I think it will most likely be unchanged. Mm -hmm. We'll have more build-up. I, I agree with that. I think the one... Sorry, I was just going to say, I think there's one, one interesting question is just Job's, Job's sort of game time, which I think mm -hmm. at the moment is, yeah, he's played is absolutely sort of through the roof for his age. And I think, obviously, the thing with Job is he's not getting international breaks because he goes away on international duty and he plays. Um, and I do wonder if at some point... Even though I think clearly he would be in all of our sort of stronger Sunderland 11 at the moment because he's been absolutely brilliant all season, I do think at some point you're going to have to rest this kid because this is still his first season of senior football and he's playing mm. like three times a week in the championship and then going away and play for England. Um, so I think at some point it's really important that Sunderland give him a breather. I think he has seen some signs of fatigue at times in the last couple of games. I'm not saying necessarily this Saturday, but I think at some point, you know, there is a question do you give Rig a go? I thought he was excellent. Or do you bring, just bring Pritchard in with that experience and let Job rest and come off the bench? Um, you know, it's not me saying that Job should be dropped because I think he's been excellent. But I do think there's a, a, a question there over at what point do you, do you give Job a bit of a breather um, just to protect him for the rest of the season because he's already become such an important player. I think it's testament to Job as well that, that the sort of the lack of narrative around him now because when we signed him, and when we saw him in pre-season, it was very much, you know, which which position is he going to play? We're not really sure what he is. He's very inexperienced. We might have to play the long game. He's clearly got talent. And now, you know, first part of the season, he's a regular starter for Sunderland. He can play in midfield. He can play an attack in midfield. And his stature now as a football player is well beyond the 18 years he's been on this planet. I think we're probably guilty of maybe not giving him enough credit just by virtue of how consistent he's been, it's it's phenomenal, really. Mm. You forget that he's 18, don't you? You forget that, yeah. that he's still yeah. that young age. Um, in, and Daniel in, in managed my, to be after the game. In he's my head, more he's, minutes this, this season than last season already. In, in, my, in my head, he's not that much different to Dan Neal in stature, which is remarkable, mm. really, given Dan Neal's got like, you know, three seasons ahead of him in, in terms of professional experience. It's crazy. Mm. Well, Dan Neal was saying that after the game, actually, how he felt that in his kind of first season when he was a senior in the in League One that he did feel by January he kind of had that burnout. So Sunderland do have to be mm. careful that with Bellingham that as well as he's played at the start of the season that they don't kind of overuse him. And as Phil mentioned there, they've got Pritchard that could come in. Bradley Dack was back on the bench. So they have got options that could could easily come in there. But we'll see what Tony Mowbray does for Saturday's game against Swansea. You can find more build up to that game over on the SAFC section of the Sunland Echo website. We'll probably have another podcast as well out before then, previewing that game. And Mowbray will be speaking to the media later this week. So you can find all the latest Sunderland news over on the website. So once again, thanks a lot for listening to the Raw podcast. <laughs>